0: In just a few weeks in May, we have a very important event coming. That is the Men and Boys Retreat. It's May the 18th, Friday through Sunday morning, May the 20th. It's part of a vision that we've had in ministry here to accomplish several objectives. One is to be able to provide an opportunity for fathers and sons to build a good time together on a weekend and to by that build a father and son relationship. My son is 25 now and I began to take him when he was in the fifth grade to weekends similar to this and we look back now and some of our fondest memories were on those father and son weekends. We've got a lot of young men in our community and even in our church who do not have dads to take them on a retreat such as this. And so this is also an opportunity for them to be able to have a weekend with what we call an adopted dad, to make them feel like that, hey, I'm not cut out of something like this because my dad is not in the home. And it's sort of personal for me because my father left our home when I was in the seventh grade. And if there weren't for some men in my home church that took me, so to speak, under their wing and invested in me when I was a teenager, I don't know that I would be here this morning. And so it's an opportunity to take those guys out. So let me say several things to you this morning. If you are here and you want to go, we need you to meet with us right after the service today. And we're going to be meeting right over here in front of the piano. If you're a mom and you've got a boy that you want to go, if you would meet with us right over there so that we can make sure that we get him there. If you're a man who would say, hey, I'm willing to adopt a boy for that weekend, then we want you to meet with us over there. Any of you of us that would like to go with us that weekend, if you'll meet with us right over there, it costs $50 to sponsor a young man for that weekend. We're going to be at Ferrystone State Park, Patrick County. And we're looking forward to a great weekend of being outdoors, doing a lot of outdoors time together, studying God's Word together, worshiping, canoeing, hiking, etc. And just having a great weekend of being together, but even more building those relationships that last for a lifetime. So if you'll join us after the service right over here, and we will get you signed up and give you all the information you need about that. Second year, I was in my first pastorate. I had a vehicle. Some of you all that got some age on you will remember the K-cars. And I had a K-car, and my K-car was in the process of biting the dust. And uh, so I had to get a new vehicle, and then I, it was my first full-time job, and so I remember I went to the dealership to buy my first car that I would be buying with my own money, and I was all excited, and the car dealer walked me up and down the lot, and I purchased an Oldsmobile Cutlass Calais, and it was maroon on the outside and in the inside, and I was living in Northern Virginia, which was very appropriate for it to be that color, even though I'm a Dallas fan, I succumbed to it. And I remember I drove that vehicle home. And if you can remember the first vehicle you ever got, the excitement of having that. And I would pull it into the driveway. And that night, even after I'd gone inside, you know, I'd go out and look out the window uh, to, to see it just sitting out there. Uh, make sure it was still sitting out there. And continue my excitement about it sitting out there. next morning I got up to go to work and I was all excited about my new car and driving it to work for the first time. And so I got up and hurried through breakfast and went out there and put my key in the ignition and turned the ignition, and nothing happened. A brand new vehicle. I'm not talking used, I'm talking a brand new vehicle. I understand why they called it O's Mobile. And nothing happened. So I did the thing that anybody would do at that point I went into denial. This isn't really happening. My brand new vehicle that's supposed to be working so great isn't working at all. This isn't really happening. So I tried it again, and nothing happened. And I tried it again, and nothing happened. So by this point, I get out of the car, and I go up to the house, and I get on the phone, and I call the dealership. And I'm not in a really spiritual mood at this point. And I get on the phone with them and I inform them uh, in rather strident terms that this brand new vehicle that I just in the process of dumping all this money on won't even get out of the driveway. The car won't even, you know, turn over. And so the guy comes, and he examines the vehicle, and best they could figure out, in my extreme intelligence, I apparently left the door ajar the night before and run the battery down uh, completely, so it wasn't working, and he gives me instructions about how I need to make sure all the doors are shut at nighttime and the interior light's not on, and then they jump it, and I'm off and running. Now, that was, and it was a very humbling process to go through that. That is a picture sometimes of where we are in life. We look good. We seemingly got it all together. But there's no energy. We can't get out of the driveway. How many of us find ourselves stuck in life and can't get out of the driveway so often? It's not for lack of what we've got in our lives. It's for lack of any energy to move forward in life. And so we're stuck. And the the fruit of the Spirit that we're going to look at this morning, the second one, is the fruit of joy. Because the joy of the Lord is the energy to live life. How many times have you ever gotten up in a day and got rolling in the day and then something just hit you and it just drained all the energy right out of How many times have you gone through a season in life when you felt like all the energy just got drained out of you? Well, it's the work of the Holy Spirit to produce within us the fruit of joy. And we're going to look today at Galatians 5.22, where Paul is listing the fruits of the Spirit, and then we're going to look at the life of Stephen, who at a very difficult time in his life experienced the joy of of the Lord at a time and a place that you wouldn't have expected him to experience the joy of the Lord. Galatians 5.22, as you turn there, this book was written to the believers who were living in the Galatia providence, which included the cities in those days of Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. Paul had visited this particular city on his second missionary journey, or this area of Galatia. It corresponds to what we know today as Turkey. Now, one of the interesting sidelines to the book of Galatians is that the original inhabitants of this area were called the Gauls. And the Gauls were not known for their joy. And these folks were descendants of the Gauls. In fact, the Gauls were known for the very opposite of joy. They were known for being ruthless, for fighting, for bloodshed. I mean, you name it, negative, and the Gauls were known for it. So these folks had it within their DNA to be something other than people who were filled with joy. They're descendants of people who were filled with anything but joy. And so this is sort of what they're up against even in their family origins. And Paul is writing to this church at Galatia, and he, when he moves to the fifth chapter, he begins to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, as I said before, we put a lot of emphasis on the gifts of the Spirit, but I think the greatest need we have is not for gifts of the Spirit, but rather for the fruit of the spirit. In fact, the gifts of the spirit, apart from the fruit of the spirit, can be destructive, and we see that in Corinth, first and second Corinthians, a church that was filled with gifting, but had almost no fruit. Paul, in fact, says, "If you've got all these gifts, but you don't have love, you're in tough shape." And so, in Galatians chapter five, he begins to delineate here the gifts of the spirit, and notice what he says as we move into this, verse twenty-two: "But the fruit of the spirit." Is, and we saw this several weeks ago, love, then today joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such things, there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, produces joy. Now, my sermon outline is it contained in your Bible. I invite, excuse me, contained in your, I wish it was contained in your Bible. It's contained in your bulletin. I, you would follow along with me. Joy is in Jesus. Joy, this joy that he talks about is in Jesus. Now, the joy that he's going to talk about here and we're going to look at is not some way that we sort of work ourselves up into trying to stay happy all the time. This is a joy that is rather grounded, and the object of this joy is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, not the joy of our circumstances. How many of y'all ever played the kids' game, Pick Up Sticks? All right, a bunch of you. We know if you pay, pay Pick Up Sticks. you got a whole bunch of sticks, and what do you do? You take those sticks, and you just drop them on the ground, And then the object is to reach down into this mass and start picking up one by one and not mess up the other sticks that are laying all around there. Now, folks, so often our lives are like this. They're like a jumbled mess of pickup sticks. And we're trying to figure out, how do I pick up one stick after another? How do I pick up one circumstance after another and keep everything else from getting into even more of a mess? And you see, if I try to find my joy in the circumstances of life, it's going to be just like that mass of pickup sticks. I'm going to have a mess on my hands, and I'm not going to be sure how I try to get joy out of that, because every time I try to move one, one direction, I set off a mess in another direction. But understand this, our natural default mechanism is trying to get joy out of life's circumstances. How many times do we get up in the morning and things are going pretty good and then the circumstances start falling to pieces on us? One conversation, one relationship goes south. You get to meet your boss and he doesn't have a smile on his face. You get a problem dumped in your lap and all of a sudden, joy is gone. How many times do we go through life and we go through what I call seasons of life and that is that the joylessness goes from a day to a week, two weeks to a month, two months and to years, and it seems like we wonder if we're ever going to get back in a place where there's any joy. Well, that's because life is all in a jumble like this, and we're trying to find joy in this. And when we try to find joy in the pick-up sticks of life, it's never going to happen. We are become a prisoner to the circumstances of our lives. And what he's saying here is if our joy is in Jesus, then it is not an emotion that I'm trying to live off on. It is rather the quality of what God is producing in my life where the joy comes. So I am not dependent on the circumstances of life for my joy. I am rather dependent upon Jesus. Now, all of us crave joy, whether we realize it or not. And if we're not finding our joy in Jesus, we're going to try to find the joy somewhere else. And the substitutes we come up with usually carry an addictive side to them because we're trying to find the joy and the addiction we think is going to produce the joy and it doesn't produce the joy. That's why we have to make the addiction get larger and larger and we get deeper and deeper and deeper into it because we keep thinking if I get a little bit more and I get a little bit more, it'll make me happy. Just take addiction to material stuff. How many times do we think if I get a little bit more of this and a little bit more of this and a little bit more of this, if I can have just that car or that house or those clothes, then I'm going to have joy more and more that satisfies what? Less and less. Because what satisfies, what brings the joy is the Lord. Psalm 16 in verse 11 says, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In your presence, Lord, there is fullness, completeness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. So if I'm going to know joy, the place to go for the joy is not the circumstances of my life. It is rather in the presence of the Lord. Now, this is what we tend to try to do when we're trying to find joy in the circumstances of life. We try to control this. If I can somehow or another control the circumstances, I will have joy. If I can control the relationships, maybe I can have some joy. If I can control the finances, I'll have some joy. If I can control this person, I'll have some joy. But have you ever discovered that our ability to control anything just doesn't go very far? In fact, the more we try to control life and the circumstances of life, the more out of control they seem to come. Have you ever had one of those times you sat back one day and you thought, man, things are going smooth, feel like I'm in control, and it looks like with the 24 hours you're sitting back saying, everything's blown out, I'm not in control of anything anymore. You see, when I find my joy in Jesus, I'm not trying to find it in circumstances, so I am freed up and liberated from trying to control the circumstances and letting God take over and let Him be in control. Now, When my joy is in Jesus, follow me on this. When my joy is in Jesus, the Spirit of God is producing the joy. But when and how is the Spirit of God producing the joy? He's producing the joy in my life as I walk closely with Jesus. So if I'm walking closely with Jesus, the joy is going to be there. And if I'm not walking closely with Jesus, the joy is not going to be there. Now Let me tell you what, we, what we, all of us tend to struggle with. If we're not careful, we put our relationship with Jesus on autopilot. It's not that we decide I'm going to go off and just jump into all kinds of sin and sin as much as I can and get as far away from God as I can. We just decide I'm going to put my relationship with Jesus on autopilot. I don't need to be reading His Word every day. I don't really need to be in prayer every day. I don't have to be worshiping Him. I don't have to be but so close, I can just sort of put this thing on autopilot and I'll be okay. But you see, my relationship with Jesus is either growing or it is contracting. It is either getting stronger or it is getting weaker. There is no autopilot there. When I put my relationship with Jesus on autopilot, basically what I've decided to do is just let it slowly, gradually deteriorate. And when I do that, the joy is going to begin to drain out of my life. And then I'm going to look, start looking somewhere else to try to find the joy. So as I walk with Jesus, the Spirit of God is producing in my life that joy. Wednesday, this coming Wednesday night, 7 o'clock in our Bible study time, we're going to look at what it means to never be alone, but to be continuously experiencing the presence of God. Now, the joy of the, of the Spirit is not just produced in us as individuals. It's also produced in us in groups. In fact, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord produces joy in the body of believers as they come together. And it's manifest this way. They are shout, they shout. They praise, there's laughter, there's commitment one to the other. In other words, when God goes to work in our lives and the Spirit is producing joy in us, He produces that joy not just in individuals, but in us as a group. So the fruit of the Spirit in the body of Christ is to experience and work in His joy. Spirit of God produces joy in us. And He produces joy in us at the time and place of suffering. Now what we normally think is that suffering is the exact opposite of joy. And that there is no way that I can experience joy if I'm suffering. So we try to avoid suffering as much as possible. In fact, what we try to do usually is to deny suffering or run from suffering because we associate that you can't suffer if you're, excuse me, you can't have joy if you're suffering. But the Bible teaches the exact opposite. In fact, it says that you can find joy in suffering. So, folks, often in my attempt to avoid suffering and run from suffering and difficulty, I am inadvertently running from and avoiding joy without even realizing it. Romans chapter 5 and verse 3 says rejoice in suffering because suffering produces endurance. In other words, God uses suffering to teach us how to endure and how to stay with it and stay at it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul says that they received the word of God with the joy of the Holy Spirit in the midst of much affliction. They receive the Word of God with the joy of the Spirit, even in the middle of going through all kinds of affliction. Paul wrote the book of Philippians from a prison cell, and it is known as his letter of joy. Of all the letters that Paul wrote, Philippians, written from a prison cell, is known as the letter that just bubbles over with joy. Now, I want you to look with me in the book of Acts at the example of Stephen. Stephen was one of the early followers of the Lord Jesus. And in the book of Acts, chapter 6 and verse 5, when they chose him to be what we probably believe is one of the first deacons, Acts chapter 6 and verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man, notice how he's described, a man of faith and of the Holy Spirit. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Now, over in chapter 7, beginning with verse 54, Stephen goes out and he begins to share the Lord Jesus Christ with people. He's very blunt about what he says. He's not received well. Now, Notice verse 54, because Stephen's going to go through some major suffering here. Now, when they heard these things, that is the people that Stephen was speaking to, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And Stephen said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing, notice the verb there, standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Notice how Stephen is described. First of all, it says he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice verse 55. They are throwing... Stones at him, which was an ancient form of execution. This is almost the appearance of being like a lynch mob. It says, verse 55, that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. But then notice what happens. It says, He gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God. Where did his joy come from? It surely wasn't coming from the stones, it surely wasn't coming from the crowd. It was coming from his gaze. He was gazing into heaven and he saw the glory of God. The glory of God is the idea of the majesty of God, the heaviness, the weightiness of the majesty of God. Now, how do you have joy in circumstances like this? It's because you stop looking at this and start looking at Him. You see, when you go through a difficult time, If you and I will live in the fullness of the Spirit, what the Spirit of God does is He gets us to gaze not upon our circumstances, not upon our problem, not to get fixated on the issue and the circumstances and the difficulty that's in front of us, but rather to look at Jesus. And notice that when he looks at Jesus here, he sees and experiences Jesus in a way that he has not experienced Jesus before. You see, one of the reasons that God takes us through difficult times is because he has a deeper, richer experience with Jesus for us that we haven't experienced yet, and we are not going to experience until we get through that difficult set of circumstances. Now, the circumstances can either grind us into the ground and make us want to give up, or we can say, Lord, I'm going through this, and I can't control this, though I wish I could. But, Lord, I want to ask you to give me a vision of your glory and an experience of your glory and who you are that I have not experienced before. I want to come out of this saying that I know Jesus more deeply, that I love him more closely, that I'm walking with him in a way that I've never walked with Him before that I am experiencing him in a way that I've never experienced him before, so that on the other end of this, Lord, I am more of your man than I have ever been before. That's where he wants to take us if we will let him. Notice it says he saw the glory of God, and then notice what it says he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, it's an interesting verb there where it says he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God because when you read through the Scriptures, what you see most of the time is that Jesus is seated, not standing, but seated on the right hand of God. The imagery of being seated is that your work is complete. The Bible talks about when he had died on the cross and shed his blood, he ascended to the Father. He was on the right hand of God, which was the place of honor in the ancient world, the place of authority, and that he was seated to indicate that his work was finished. So the scriptures show that when Jesus died on the cross, he rose from the dead and then he ascended and he was seated at the right hand of God. But here he's standing. Why is he standing instead of seated? I believe he's standing here because his work of redemption was completed on the cross, and therefore he sat down. But when his servant Stephen was being murdered, he stood up because he had another work to do. He didn't idly sit up in heaven and look down and watch Stephen dying and say, well, you know, I hate to see that happening, but my work's done. Jesus stood up. He stood up because he loved Stephen. Stephen. He stood up because what was happening to Stephen had captivated him. His eyes were transfixed on his servant Stephen. And he stood up because he was getting ready to receive Stephen into heaven. And when Stephen was laying there on the ground and the stones were flying in his face, Stephen was looking past stones. He was looking past angry voices he was looking past those angry faces and he was looking into Jesus and he recognized Jesus is there to receive me, to take me, to hold me. I'm headed into his arms in just a few seconds. Now, folks, when you and I go through the difficult night, he's watching. He is watching. And if you and I would just grab a hold of him in prayer, God's saying, i got a vision of where I am in your life. I'm right beside you. I see what you're going through. I'm going to stand with you. I'm going to walk with you through this. You are in my eyesight. Just keep me in your eyesight. Keep the focus on me. Now I want you to see what Stephen does. And don't miss this because this is awesome. Notice what he does. First of all, verse 59, he calls out to the Lord and he says, Lord, would you receive my spirit? He recognized he was dying and he said, God, would you receive my spirit? He had the assurance that the Lord was going to take care of him after death. And then notice verse 60. He says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them repeating what Jesus himself had said from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. The last words that Stephen utters before he dies are forgiveness. Lord, don't hold this sin against them. I forgive them. Unforgiveness will rob us of joy. Unforgiveness is perhaps the key thief of joy. If Satan wants to take joy away from your life, he's going to create a situation in your life and a person or persons in your life that you're going to find it very difficult to forgive. And that way he can just drain the joy right on out of you. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is the way to joy. Those folks that were stoning Stephen, they didn't earn that forgiveness. They didn't deserve that forgiveness. But he gave it to them anyway. And in so doing, he died with a smile on his face and with the joy produced by the Holy Spirit because he was choosing to forgive. And you and I, when we get a real vision of Jesus, we'll forgive. The pathway... To the joy of the Lord and to knowing His joy and living in His joy is living in the forgiveness, not only that we experience, but the forgiveness that we offer to other people. And folks, if you and I are going to know the fruit of joy in our lives, where it's going to take us is to the place of forgiving other folks. I know I preach on this a whole lot, and the reason I do is I believe that unforgiveness is the major way that Satan is holding believers in bondage. And unforgiveness is how He's holding them in bondage, but forgiveness is the way that we not only release them, we are releasing ourselves to know and to walk in the joy of the Lord. That morning when my car went dead, they brought in another vehicle, they hooked one cable up from one battery to another, and when the energy from one vehicle hit the battery that I had in my vehicle, the engine turned over and we were good to go. And when you and I get hooked up, not to life circumstances, not to our unforgiveness, but when we get hooked up to Jesus and stay hooked up to Him, the energy of His joy is going to be produced in our lives.